Welcome back to Miriam's Mantle. I'm Amy Lynn, and I'm returning this week with my cousin Cindy and her incredible testimony of God's redemptive power. She was delivered from abuse and a homosexual lifestyle. As I stated last week, our country and the world at large are celebrating and displaying the overt and moral sin called Pride Month. So Cindy's testimony is such a powerful reminder that God desires to give us all complete freedom. Many people are caught in sin because they don't see a way out. Nobody wants to live in sin. They believe the lie that Satan often tells all of us, that sin is pleasurable, but it's only for a season. That's the problem. Then what? Many find themselves absolutely destroyed and isolated because of their sin. But here is the absolute truth. Sin will never produce peace. And that's what all of us long for. Absolute peace, wholeness, and wellness. Sin can never give you the very thing that we desire at our core. See, that's the ultimate lie. Sexual relations, drugs, alcohol, jobs, material objects, or other human beings can never substitute. That's why we have to lead others to the cross. Because only Jesus Christ can offer us peace and wholeness. Only the creator of the universe, the maker of you and I, knows exactly what we need in this life. I want to remind you, before we move on further, that I gave a disclaimer in the previous podcast. This podcast is not appropriate for children because of the adult content. And it also could be triggering if you yourself have experienced molestation, sexual assault, or other traumatic events. So with that in mind, let's get started. So I am returning with an amazing woman of God, and I cannot wait to continue this conversation today. So we left off at your teenage years. Your mom finds out that you're having an inappropriate relationship with a girl and she refuses to condone or accept your choice. What was, what was the atmosphere like? Were you, were you out in the open with your same sex attraction? Did everybody know or only your mom during those years? That's a great question. No, I was not out. Um, In those years. And that would have been in the, in the, late 70s early 80s I mean that was not acceptable it was not even I didn't even know other people had same-sex attraction until I had met that older girl and had it myself and then she got to telling me about other friends that she knew that had girlfriends so I was very inexperienced had never heard of this before didn't know any gay people didn't hang out with any gay people uh so no I was not out I kept it very secretive as far as at least I thought I did. My mom knew, I think she told several of my aunts. I think she may have told a cousin or two. Um, and then one of my good friends at school knew that the girl that I was attracted to was considered to be a gay girl at school. And it was not cool back then. I mean, you were actually ridiculed for that. So it's not something you were proud of. You just sort of kept it on the down low. Okay. So... 
can you describe the moment you decided that you're officially homosexual? Did that come later, or was that during your teenage years? Like, this is the lifestyle I'm going to choose, or was it just a series of events that just kind of took place? I will tell you, I struggled with it for years from the time I was 16 until I was, gosh, 20, 21. I would go back and forth. I would be attracted to girls. But then, you know, my, I had my mom there and she was, she was not going to let me dress like a boy. She was not going to let me dress tomboyish. She was taking me to church every chance she got. She was all up in my business and she was constantly, you know, telling me about the word of God, telling me about the Lord, how the, God made me, um, encouraging me to, you know, go out and date boys and, and actually getting in, involved where she would even set up little dates with people that she would meet, you know, that she thought were good guys for me to, to date. And so, you know, I, I would go back and forth, you know, for a while, I'd, I'd sort of, you know, had clicks in, in sports with certain girls. And then there would be times where I'd be like, well, gosh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I should try dating a guy, you know, maybe, maybe I've changed, maybe I'll feel differently. And I'd go out with a boy for a little while. So I sort of went back and forth for many years. I think it wasn't until um, I hit about 18 years old. And I was not living at home at the time. And I got involved with a group of gay girls in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, big metroplex. And there was this whole scene that I was introduced to that I had never knew about before. They had their own clubs. They had their own bars. They had their own sporting events. There was places you could go to meet with other girls who had same-sex attraction. It, it was all of a sudden just a thing. And you know, I wasn't exposed to that in Arkansas. You didn't have places where you could go and meet up with, with other girls. But I, 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 I do remember making a definite choice to walk that way at, at 20 years old. And I started going to the club scene, going to lesbian bars, hanging out with other, what I call out lesbians that were proud of it and talked about it openly. And that's when I really started sort of delving in that whole uh, community. So I know so. that you're, throughout all of this, you're battling your faith because I know you were raised very much like I was. And uh, we were raised very devout and very yeah. conservative. So I know there was this inner struggle with knowing, well, this is, you know, not right. I know what I'm doing is not accepted. It's not. Uh, God's not going to, you know, um, be okay with my choice. So at some point you decide that you're going to go to Bible school, that you're going to go to Bible That's school. That's right. That's right. Um, during the time that I was going through the struggling back and forth, I'd sort of come out and decided, you know, I'm going to go, to, I'm going to, I'm going to go immerse myself in this whole gay scene. And so I would go to clubs and, and I'd be with girls. And we would go do activities and things like that together. That went on for about two years. And uh, I ended up, you know, moving back home because I, I thought it was going nowhere. I was partying three and four times a, a week, going and getting drunk, doing things that my mom didn't approve of. And she basically put her foot down. And she was like, look, I know what you're doing. You know, I know you're out there living it up and you think that you're old enough to do these things and there's no consequences. I mean, she would just let me have it. Every time I would see her, her and my stepdad, and they'd sit me down. 
Do you have any goals in your life? What are you doing with your life now? Cindy, you know this is not right. You know this is not what the Lord wants you to do with your life. And so that constant intervention was really what was so key. Um, my mom said, why don't you move back in here for a while, which was awesome. Um, I started going to community college, kind of, you know, my life was just drifting. I really had no purpose, didn't know what I was going to do with my life, but I knew I could not continue to just be going out, working during the week. And when Thursday came, just going and living it up, you know, just really just drinking and, and partying and just blowing money and didn't really have any purpose, didn't know what I want to do with my life. It, it was it was a miracle that something horrible did not happen to me during that. That was the grace of God. So moved back home. My parents, uh, my mom and my stepdad at this time put down strict rules. He said, I don't care if you're 21, 22 years old. Uh, you live in our house, you're going to abide by our rules. You'll pay rent. You'll pay insurance. You'll have a job. You will go to school and you will have goals. And so that's the way, that's the way it happened. And so during that time, I started going back to church again. Talk about God's intervention. I tell you what, thank the Lord for, for Christian parents because they never give up. And I knew my mom was praying for me. I remember my aunts would always tell me uh, they, they were praying for me. You know, they knew I was out there, you know, not living right. And they could see it. I'm sure my cousins did too. Um, and so getting back into church, the Lord brought two one actually three wonderful older ladies into my life that I had met at church. They were godly women. They'd been serving the Lord for years. I was in my twenties. They were in their forties and they invited me to a church, a non-denominational church. And they knew I played drums and, uh, you know, we just sort of hit it off. I think they saw, I, I really think the Lord had them in my life at that time. I think they saw that I needed some help. and. Um, to this day, I'm, I'm still friends with two of them, and they live just down the road from me. They've been huge, huge, uh, made a huge impact in my life for years. Um, started playing church, I mean, playing drums at church, in, enjoying it, loving it. Um, met folks my age that weren't into homosexuality. They were also following the Lord, and they were working on the mission field. And uh, I'd always sort of had that seed in there. You know, the Lord, uh, I got saved in the church, Baptist church and children's church. And I think, you know, he was sort of watering that. And here's, he brought these wonderful people into my life to kind of help me and disciple me. And that got me on the right track. And they introduced me to a Bible school. It was an unaccredited school, but it was affiliated with a non-denominational church in Denton, Texas. And um, it was kind of an immersion type Bible school. You were training for the mission field, and it was very evangelical. So we did lots of outreach to the homeless. Um, and I just sort of jumped right in and loved every minute of it because I was around other young people in their 20s that wanted to do the same thing. I had no direction in life. I feel like this saved me in a lot of ways. Had I not gone there and had those people in my life at that time, I really have no idea where I would be, really. Um, and that was, that was a transition, a big turning point. What was your, um, what was your relationship with God like during those years at Bible college? In, in Bible college. So I think my faith was, um, was growing and I was learning more about, uh, the Bible and, and God's word and that I needed to be studying it, not just reading it on Sundays, 
but I was taught that in order for God to change you from the inside out, you needed to be in a discipleship program and you needed to be immersed in the word 24 seven. And let me tell you, from the time we got up in the morning till the time we went to bed at night, and many times that was 11 or 12 o'clock, if you weren't in class or studying scriptures, you were out working in the real world with other Bible school students, and you were training uh, for the mission field. So we were, we were staying in dorms that had no air conditioning so that we could be prepared if we, um, which we did later, do some mission work, where, you know, you, you had to be in extreme heat and you didn't have access to um, good food or, or good water or air conditioning and so on. So we walked to work. I worked at Whataburger for three years and I say it was some of the best three years of my life. Um, it taught me a lot about discipline. Uh, it worked with our Bible school schedule. So it allowed us to go to classes, but we also could make an income. We, I learned to tithe in Bible school. I learned that serving was a huge part. If you're going to be a Christian, this is what Jesus said. He loved people and you serve people. And we did a lot of that. We ran the, the Denton County Homeless Shelter. We worked with the Salvation Army. I was also in a band at the time through the Bible school. Most of the Bible school students uh, had had a born-against experience on campus. And so uh, the pastor of this Bible school and church would recruit from the university campuses. So, I mean, I was, I was out there with folks in my, in, in their twenties too. And here I was surrounded by all these cool people, my age, and they were musicians here. I was a musician. We wanted to live radical lives for Jesus. I mean, I was super on fire for God. So were you living a gay uh, lifestyle or having same sex attractions at that moment? I would say the first two years in Bible college, I still had the same sex attraction, but I didn't do anything with it. I did end up eventually getting involved with one of the girls in Bible college um, for a very, very short time. But as you, as you know, both of us had, you know, Jesus in it. We knew it was wrong. And we were like, this, this can't be, we can't, we can't do this. And um, what my pastor was aware of, it, you know, because I, I told him about it and uh, he was kind of, counseling me at the time and, and sort of discipling me and helping me. And I really looked up to him and he was probably the closest male I had in my life. Um, there was another family, uh, Mr. Dolan, who was also a wonderful mentor, him and his wife and his kids were awesome mentor to me at that time. Those were the only two men I had in my life that I even trusted other than my stepdad. And they'd moved to Oklahoma. So my folks didn't even live uh, in Texas at the time. Um, so this so, is yeah, the, the height of your growth with the Lord. Um, you're immersed in his word, you're growing. And I tell yeah. you what, this is an absolute game changer, nail biting. So the man that's over your college, <clears throat> the director, uh, if you will, Something happens with him. So talk to me. So this this man that's over this Bible college, you develop a, a rapport or somewhat of a relationship and you learn more about him. And so tell us how this makes another uh, pivotal impact in your life. 
Well, as I was saying, I idolized this fellow. I looked up to him. He knew the word like nobody's business. I admired that about him. He had the most charismatic personality. I trusted him with my life. I really did. Um, and he helped me overcome a lot of my nightmares. I used to have horrible nightmares because of the sexual abuse. And it was, it was, it was literally Satan that would pursue me in my dreams that night. And, and I had this recurring dream that happened over and over that I was being chased, um, by someone that was trying to rape me. And that, that was just like reliving the trauma. And so in counseling, I went to him and I said, look, you know, I'm having everything he addressed was always, you use the word of God. This is what I want you to do. Next time you have that prayer, you immediately wake up and you start praying the word of God. And you pray the word of God and you stand on it and you use it like a sword. And I'll tell you what, I overcame those nightmares with the word of God. And he taught me how to use it like a, to use it like it was a literal sword and it worked. Um, I, I have never had those nightmares again since then. Wow. And that was when I was 27 years old. So, um, and he would give me specific scriptures I could use, but he's like, any scripture that comes to your mind, you fight it like it. Somebody was standing right in front of you and use the word of God and they would have to leave in the name of Jesus. It was one of the most powerful moments in my life because I thought if that's possible, anything is possible for me. I went there in hopes that I would be set free from my same sex attraction. It was my sole purpose for going to Bible college other than not having any, you know, focus or purpose in my life. I thought, you know what, Cindy, if you're going to be free from this, this is where it's going to happen. If I can just get in the word and stay in the word long enough, Jesus will set me free. And, um, and that's what Randy would tell me. Uh, that's what this pastor's name was. I won't mention last names, but he told me all the time. He said, look, Cindy, you may still have these same sex attractions. Just keep getting in the word. Just keep following Jesus. Just keep, you know, relying on his grace. Just keep leaning into God. And that's what I did. And he said, eventually God will take care of the rest. Well, so you can imagine, you know, I looked to this guy on every level, big mistake. I learned to never put man on a pedestal because they're human and they will fail you at some point. Um, unfortunately, uh, this fella had his, has, had his own set of patterns of issues that he was struggling with himself. And uh, I saw him in the sanctuary after praise and worship practice one night, and he was kissing one of the Bible school students, young ladies. Now, this pastor was married, had kids, uh, very well respected in the community. I, I thought I must have been making it up, but it was pretty clear. I mean, there were there were lights on. It was and it was my roommate in Bible college that he was actually kissing in the entryway of the church. I was devastated, beyond devastated. I remember just being frozen. I went and I walked. I think I walked two miles. Like, what am I going to do with this information? I can't believe this happened. Oh, my God. You know, to me, it was devastating. It was horrible. It was like, it, to me, it was sort of like reliving trauma again, because here's another person that I cared about very much. This horrible thing's happened. This is going to sort of break up the family, right? He's in charge Absolutely. of all these young people. And it was, it was just like, oh, my God. And I wanted to go tell someone. It was just like when I wanted to tell someone about sexual abuse, but I, I couldn't. Because I thought, oh, my God, I'm the troublemaker. I'm going to mess all of this up. I have a year left and I graduate. You know, what am I going to do? And I remember I called one of those wonderful older women that mentored me. 
um, there were three of them, Pam, Gail, and Margaret. I'll never forget those ladies. Um, and they just sort of let me vent and they taught me through it. And they said, Cindy, we can't tell you what to do. You have to make that decision. You pray about it. You ask God to show you what to do. But, you know, they were very um, supportive. They were like, yes, this is wrong. This is horrible. I can't believe this happened. You know, and but but I, I was able to get information uh, from them that, you know, they weren't that shocked um, or surprised by that. It evidently can happen quite often with pastors. And, um, you know, here's all these young, good looking girls. And, you know, he's in his 40s and they're in their 20s. And we all idolize him and think think he's just wonderful. So I can I can see how that can occur. Uh, but that well, was that was devastating. And this is so important. Just like I said, this whole conversation is just so critical on so many levels because here you have this compound trauma. I mean, you've already been abused by your father, someone you you think highly of. You expect that you can trust him. Um, no one imagines that, you know, someone that's supposed to protect you and take care of you is going to violate that. Then you turn around and you put your trust in another man and he fails you yet again. I'm thinking yeah. if, if anyone had in the church, because you said these women knew he had a pattern, if they had dealt with it, you know, if, if so, someone, because that's what happens when we don't have accountability and it doesn't matter who it is. Everyone has to have accountability in their life. You know, Absolutely. I can't imagine what might have changed had any part of that story changed. You know, if if the people in the church said, hey, we're seeing this pattern. Um, he's doing this in the in the Bible college and it's unacceptable and called him out and, you know, began dealing with it. Then this wouldn't have happened to you again. Absolutely. And I found out later he had actually had relationships and those girls told me about it because they were. They were my housemates in our dorm. He had actually ended up having four relationships with one was my roommate. The other one, because I was the, the dean of women. Um, and one of one of the girls he'd had a relationship with was the director over the women's dorm. I was directly under her. And then I was I was the only female on that floor that he had not had a relationship with. And obviously that's because I, you know. Right. Happen, right? <laughs> in that instance, but, might have saved you. <laughs> but um that is that you know, and not it, I mean we're making light of it, but I just I'm just thinking how much further that must have driven you down that road of same sex sex attraction. How much more attractive a female would have looked because at this point you're talking your dad was a deacon, this is a pastor, godly mm -hmm. men don't truly follow the Lord. I mean, I can't That's imagine right. how that changed your perception. It did drastically. I lost all respect for him at that moment. And I mean, I, you know, I was under him, you know, uh, he led praise and worship practices because he also sang and played guitar as well. And so he was over me and so, so on so many levels in service and such. And I had no respect for his authority from that day on. And my goal was I'm finishing this and I'm out of here. And I do remember it was immediately after that, that another person that didn't even go to that Bible school came back. She had, she had gone to that church many years later and we ended up reconnecting. 
and we got involved in, in a relationship and I didn't even care if he knew about it. I was almost like, I dare you say something to me because I'm disgusted with you. I'd like it ruined everything from me for me. And I knew then I wasn't going to have a job uh, in ministry, at least not in that organization, because I, I can no longer be under someone like that. And I knew that, you know, I was going to have to leave. I mean, this well, was my family for three years. We were really tight and um, we did everything together and it, it ruined it all. It ruined everything. So your perception of men radically changes and it further pushes you down that cycle. Um, and so you just begin to give way to a homosexual lifestyle. At this point, you have no reason to believe that any men can be trusted. And the exactly. only, you know, the only saving grace you have is, is women. Right. I did. I did finally go and talk to uh, a buddy of mine. His name was Alan. And he was also going to the Bible college because he had sort of mentioned to me, sort of brought up this whole topic of, Hey, have you ever been in the sanctuary late at night and saw Randy with other women? That was my that was my clue for an outlet. I was I realized then, oh my God, maybe I'm not the only one that saw this. Because again, I start re-questioning what I saw, what I heard, what I knew. It you know, um somehow you start thinking it's you that has the issue or you that has the problem, or maybe you didn't really see that. And when I found out that Al had also seen inappropriate meetings at night, inappropriate appropriate counseling sessions with young girls when his wife wasn't present, things like that. And I heard someone else was questioning that. I was like, oh my God, it, I'm not crazy. I didn't make this up. It's not just me. You know what I mean? Like he can't keep doing this, right? Like someone's got to confront him. So I went to Alan, my, my buddy, who I'm still friends with to this day. And he was in the Bible school as well. And he said, yes. And I've, I've noticed that too. And he then, we sort of talked about it a little bit. And I said, man, this, this is not right. This is, I told him how disgusted I was and how, you know, I, my plans to leave were. And, and he said, yeah, I know. And he said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to meet with one of the elders in the church. And that was my, one of my mentors, Mr. Dolan, who passed away this past year. That was a huge loss. So we, we had him to go to and we told him what happened. Um, I don't know what he did with that information, but I do know that I graduated about six months later and the church went through a split immediately. So I believe that he took that information and went to other elders in the church and other people in the church and let them know because everything just blew wide open then. But so I was moved out by the One of the most profound things that I, after, you know, you telling me about your story is I realized that through all this, you know, you, Obviously, you don't trust men, but you also develop a habit of not trusting yourself. Exactly. I didn't trust myself at all. You, you, you know, when we began going through this, I realized you're looking for someone else to trust because you don't trust your own self. Yeah, it makes you doubt everything you think you know. Right. Um, because it's such heavy information and the reality to me and I think this is what made me also realize that I wasn't processing what was happening. I was just sort of almost talking myself out of it. It's like, oh, well, if you don't acknowledge it, if you just don't dwell on it, if you just don't do anything with it, um, you know, maybe that was a one-time event. You know what I'm saying? You, you start minimizing, minimizing it. And 
I think that's really dangerous too, um, because you're not you're not really acknowledging what happened and saying no, I'm, I'm I'm not crazy. I didn't imagine this. This really happened. It's not right. It hurts. I never got to go confront him. I wanted to many times. I wanted to say, hey, do you know how much I looked up to you? Do you know how much I counted on you? You know, you 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 said you understood those kind of horrible things that happened that you'd even had some happen to you and the. He was raised in an orphanage. So you got a pastor who grew up in an orphanage that was abused himself. So mm-hmm. you can see there how he acted out in inappropriate ways, but it wasn't towards the same sex attraction, right? It was sure. Well, and, and that's why this is so important because I, you know, in our conversations, you realize how critical it is to at some point cope with deal with um these issues you know because you keep going from series of situations to series of situations without ever addressing what has happened to you yes absolutely and um even in bible school i never really started peeling back those layers just occasionally we'd have you know counseling sessions and we would briefly discuss it but his answer, you know, he wasn't a psychologist, so he really couldn't counsel me um, in, in ways that, you know, really dealt with all the trauma. He had the best answers he could, which was, I'm going to point you towards the word of God and Jesus and prayer. And that was his way, uh, you know, and, and it did help me. But but we never really, you know, he didn't refer me to another counselor or refer me to Christian counseling or somebody that had dealt with folks who'd been sexually abused. He really didn't have those skills, but but he did point me towards the word of God constantly. And he prayed with me and he was never inappropriate towards me. So that is another reason why I trusted him because he never acted, said anything, did anything inappropriate towards me. I thank God for that to this day. Mm. But it was just as hurtful to do that with my friends whom I'm going to school because, you know, I know these people, I know, I know their backgrounds, I know their struggles and, and they all trusted and looked up to him as well. And um, yeah, it's, it was just one more, gosh, you just really can't trust guys. I mean, look, look at this, you know, um, so you, 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 go, off and just say, you know, the way you are. Sure. So, I, who wouldn't, I can, I can completely understand and identify with your perspective. So you go from immersing yourself in the word and in Bible college to immersing yourself in the gay lifestyle. Yes. And that was really subtle and slow how that happened because, and I think the enemy used that whole situation that happened with the pastor and the splitting of the church and me just completing my three years. And then I was out of there. I had to go work in the real world and find a a real job now. And um, I, you know, applied for the police department. I was hired as a law enforcement officer and worked in the city of Denton for three years uh, doing that. And, and I knew it wasn't what God wanted me to do. I, I knew I was out of the will of the Lord when I, when I took that job, but I did, well, what was I going to do? I had nowhere to go. I mean, you're, you're done with the three years and what are you going to do now? My folks couldn't live here anymore. I've got to sort of start my whole life over. And I'd live with these people day and night for three years. And all of a sudden I've lost all my friends. Where there were just a few friends, Al and, and and Mr. Dolan, a few a few people that I was still in contact with, but um, 
I felt like I had pretty much lost everything. And now I was out here and I had to be an adult and I was living in the world and, and not sheltered anymore behind Bible school and church. Um, it was hard. It was really hard. So that isolation alone, I could see where you're going to want to go and be with people that you feel that you identify with, that you feel that you have companionship with and you, um, you feel like you belong. You know, that's the one advantage of, of the gay lifestyle is that sense of belonging. Absolutely. They have created, and I say they, all folks with same-sex attraction, many of them have lost their families. So they've created their own family. That's why that community, the LBGTQ community, is so powerful and so strong. It's because it has become a surrogate family for thousands of people that many of them were kicked out of their house the minute they told or were found out to have same-sex attractions. I have many friends who, um, whose lives were even threatened by their own parents. I mean, I feel pretty, pretty fortunate. The family I had, even even though it had its own issues, I I, I could, you know, go down the line of just horror stories. Um, but yeah, it's a very tight knit community, and it it looks it looks after its own, you know. And it's sort of, hey, here's a safe place for you. We're not going to do horrible things to you. Um, you know, we'll we'll sort of be your family. We'll take you in, and we'll you know, we'll protect you. Which again is extremely appealing. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you're thrown out there and, you know, your Christian friends, half of them are still back in Bible school doing their, their thing. And then you got just a couple out here. My folks are out of state, so I had nowhere to go. I just start all over. And, um, uh, a person I met, a friend of mine who I'm still friend with, friends with to this day, and she, she does love the Lord. Um, She's, I'm hoping, I'm praying for her, standing in the gap for her. I believe God's going to bring her, bring her back to where he wants her. But she had invited me to go to a gay church. It is actually the second largest gay church in the nation. It's called Cathedral of Hope. It's located right here in Dallas, Texas. She invited me to go. And, and I thought, what? This can't be. How can that be? You can't be Christian and, and be gay. And she's like, oh, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. There's a church that accepts people that, like us who love Jesus, but just happen to have same-sex attraction. Well, I mean, you can imagine this was like Christmas to me. I'm like, really? Wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. Knowing that is wrong, you know? And how were they going to just, and I remember saying to her, well, what about this scripture? And what about that scripture? That can't be right. I wanted to go just to see what they said, you know? And um, I remember visiting the weekend I vi visited and I just took, I took notes. It just seemed like the most normal church. I felt so safe and comfortable. And they had, it was very liturgical, uh, very formal. These people were trained at seminary. Um, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, but, it, but it was just, it was a distortion. It was just take, it was like taking part of the Bible and we're going to use this part of the Bible and we're going to cut the rest out. And we'll just have Jesus plus, Jesus plus homosexuality. Jesus plus it's okay to be gay. Jesus plus we just love everyone. Jesus plus acceptance. And you just you just don't ever read the scriptures that talk about hell, that talk about homosexuality, that talk about sin. You leave all that out. You just get to hear all the positive good stuff in the Bible, right? Uh, things that don't challenge you, that doesn't cause you to grow. 
And, um, but at least it, it was in, in, in my mind, it was, I justified it, right? I compromised. And, and that's a slippery slope. I mean, it really is. So, so this, in this internal conflict that you have with your faith, finally, you feel like you've got some answers. I've, um, I don't have to fight who I've become. You know, I, I see where the enemy has taken this lie from one level to the next the whole way. I'm hoping that, uh, that, that the listeners to this podcast are really making these connections of important things to say and do, because at this time, your mom is continuing to say, this is not okay. This is not who God made you to be. This is not um, God's design or his order. And so that constant reaffirmation of your true faith um, is constantly being brought to your um, attention, but she's also providing you with love. It's, I don't remember ever anyone in my family saying, oh, we're going to detach from her or we're not going to love her. That was never even a question. Never. never. I never. remember being taught that. I remember being uh, very taught that, um, you know, that people can be in sin and you can radically disagree with someone and yet love them. And I think that's a very valuable principle to teach your children. Oh, Amy, you're so right about that. My mom loved me. And I could see it on her face. There were many things I did at that time that she was horrified by. I know she must have been praying every minute. And she struggled a lot. There were times when she would she would really go off and she would just say whatever was on her mind. And I knew where she stood all the time. She never budged in what she believed. But she did love me. And there was times where she'd just keep her mouth shut. And I knew she was praying hard. And actually, I worried about her more when she stopped saying things to me and, and, and she was quiet. I worried more then because I was like, wow, what, what's going on with mom? I didn't really trust it. You know, I was like, well, that's not my mom. I know where she stands on this subject. I know, you know, and she would still tell me now, Cindy, you can go to this church and it may seem like it's great and it may seem like it's God. And, but you know, better you read the scriptures. What does the Bible say? Anybody that distorts that takes away from it, adds to it or changes it in any way, you need to be aware. So I always had that. And it was just a constant battle, a constant, you know, I, I can never really leave that alone. And so, yeah, my family was awesome. My cousins and aunts, I know they must have been praying for me. They just loved me right through it. And um, they never agreed with me ever, nor did they ever condone. But they loved me as a person. I never forgot about that. I always felt their, their support. So we're going to, we're going to stop right there. I am just on the tip of my toes. Just this whole podcast. I just can't, I can't say enough things about how this has impacted me personally. I, I truly mean that. So we're going to come back um, in another podcast and we're going to talk about your long-term relationship with a female and then how the death of this sin begins and how God begins to radically work in your life. Thank you so okay. much uh, for sharing. I know what must be such a difficult and vulnerable part of your life. And I appreciate that so much for you to be willing to share that with others. You're welcome.
Okay. Well, we will be back on another podcast. So I hope you tune in next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray that you were blessed in some way by this podcast. I know the world feels like it's falling down around us, but God's grace and miraculous healing power is still at work. To God be the glory. Jesus exhorts us in John 9, 4. He declares, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as we have breath in us, we must pattern after Christ and be sharing the gospel with the lost. So my fervent prayer for all of us would be that we would understand the gravity of the time we are in and how important our commission is. We will continue this podcast next week and hear more about Cindy's journey. Until then, multiply blessings to you and your family.